0: Hello, dear listeners. I apologize for the long delay between episodes. My schedule became very crazy during the month of May. Sadly, this is probably not the last time you might have to wait a month between Drinks of the Doll episodes. As we mentioned recently, we are going to be starting two new podcasts discussing some TV shows that are airing starting in June. We're going to be talking about Dark Matter and Killjoys, which are both airing on sci-fi and space, and feature a lot of Lost Girl folks. We're hoping you might follow us over into one of our new podcasts during the summer. We will still put out some Drinks of the Doll episodes, but it's likely our schedule will become less frequent. We will have more announcements about how our schedule might change in the near future. But for right now, on with episode 101! (coughs) Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 101. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for lost girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Chris. And we have a guest with us this week. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> She's been on the show before. She was in our, our episode where we talked about race and, and such on Lost Girl, Melina Pendulum.
1: Hello, thank you for
0: having me, lovely Lost Girl ladies. Yay, that was a lovely alliteration right there.
1: Ooh. Ooh. Master of words, guys.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> true, Melina is about to get to be a master of English, so she was showing off some of her skills for us right there. She's educated.
1: <laughs> All that book learning done me good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where can people find you on the internet?
1: I am on Twitter, at Melina Pendulum, and on YouTube, at Melina Pendulum. I like to talk about pop culture, feminism, all that fun social justice stuff, and I love Lost Girl, even though this season has made me angry sometimes, but... Bo forever, Lauren forever, Docubus forever.
0: Which is good because Annie sadly wasn't able to make it today. She has nothing against you, by the way, Melina. She wasn't in your
2: previous <laughs> I was thinking about that too. Like, did she just not want to talk? <laughs> she wanted to be here. She liked your notes a lot. Yeah, she's like, I was cracking up reading your notes.
1: <laughs> well, I even had a Zena reference prepared to talk about how much I hate Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Because I know that she doesn't know the Buffy references, so like I'm prepared. Like, I got you, Annie.
0: (laughs) But no, she sadly she had some family stuff come up, so she wasn't able to be here, but you can be the stand in fervent Docubus shipper. Done and done. (laughs) Doing Annie a solid. So we are talking about consent today, which kind of it may sound like a vague word to some people. It means agreeing to stuff, but we are talking about consent in a very specific context here. You have a good. Do you have a good definition on hand for consent, Melina?
1: I guess in layman's terms, consent means a verbal or nonverbal agreement between two people to have something occur. That's how I make it seem. Like consent can be nonverbal, but it's better that it is verbal in terms of sex sometimes most of the time sometimes makes it sound like it's an option (laughs) you should always ask (laughs) always ask before you touch that's just a rule of thumb always ask before you touch and basically people can consent without words as we'll explain later on but usually consent between two adults means both of you are agreeing that whatever's going to happen between the two of you in a sexual nature is all right with both parties. And this can be done through initiation of both people, but consent can also be dubious and it can be done under duress. And those must also be taken into consideration. Um, Dubious consent is like if one of the participants is drunk or inebriated in some way and they're into it, but it's kind of clouded by alcohol. And under duress, of course, is if you're only doing something or agreeing to something because you're afraid of the outcome if you say no.
0: And that was a way more thorough explanation that I was going to give. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But so we're talking about consent in the context of of sexual activities. And this is a very appropriate topic for a lost girl, given that our lead is a succubus. And I'm just kind of curious. I thought we'd start by talking about What were your both of your kind of initial reactions to when you read the description about Lost Girl and you heard that the lead was a succubus? What did you think the show might be like, given that description? We'll start with you first, Chris. (laughs)
2: Uh, I think this is going to have to be a hypothetical question, because I'm pretty sure I heard more sort of about the overall aspects of the show before actually hearing that part. But yeah, hearing the stories about Jay Firestone's initial pitch for the show, and then I cringe, (laughs) because I'm just like, ooh, that just doesn't sound like it's gonna end well, (laughs) you know? Right. In terms of, like, feminist things. (laughs) Going strictly off of the the sort of initial premise of – mythological woman who must have sex to survive i'd pass quite frankly (laughs) (laughs) i'd be like i don't think that's for me yeah yeah i agree with chris
1: there is a little bit of
2: like really what is
1: this going to be about because a lot of succubi tend to be so heteronormative it's like do you just want to watch a show about a girl having sex with a bunch of white dudes constantly and It's weird because like, even though sexual empowerment is so important, sometimes it's the only thing that gets focused on in terms of female empowerment, like she's empowered because she has sex and doesn't give a damn. And so there's always the risk of it being much shallower than it could be, which I think law school has done a good job of like, surpassing.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was worried at first, I just thought, oh boy, I I thought it'd be a lot of boob shots and gross sexual encounters and granted there's quite a bit of cleavage on the show, but
2: <laughs> But I mean that description makes it sound like like a straight dude's yeah. daydream. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and I think in a lot of ways they have avoided the pitfalls in regards to portraying a succubus on the series. But I thought we would talk about the succubus in mythology, because I think it's this more traditional portrayal or, or myth about the succubus that made us all think, oh, goodness. Definitely, I had the sense of a succubus being a sexual predator, basically a big metaphor for female sexuality equals dangerous. And yeah, that would be, not be a show that I would want to watch.
2: Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And there, there have been with the other fantasy and urban fantasy shows... Lately, I've seen Succubi and at least Sleepy Hollow has had one. I, yeah. It seems like I saw, su- saw one on something else recently. I can't remember if it was like Grimm or what.
1: I know Supernatural has done it. I don't watch Supernatural because I like myself. But <laughs> I do know that Burn. they've done Succubi. <laughs> they've had succubus, but most of the time they're just kind of like male- sexual fantasy type characters. Right. Especially in, like, the more visual mediums where they're mostly male-driven. And, yeah, it's very much, like, female sexuality will kill you. And it's based on all that, like, mythological anxiety about women being both, you know, you want them to be innocent, but if you, like, their vaginas are scary and <laughs> dangerous because we don't know what's inside of them. And it could be, like, <laughs> teeth. Teeth, yeah. Or something like that. So it's, like, all this anxiety about women's vaginas... Orland put onto the succubus. And I remember
0: there was an episode of Charmed with the succubus. Mm. Either of you
1: remember this? Yes. I have it's
0: not watched Charmed. Oh my god, it's so bad. It's so bad. Because the way that they the way that they battle the succubus in the episode is they cast this spell and it turns one of the three sisters into a dude. Ugh. And the way that they, it just gets so gender essentialist, suddenly Prue is good at like fixing things around the house and oh, it's mm. so bad. It's so bad. I'll say quickly, I I have a warm place in my heart for Charmed. I used to run a fan site about Charmed. I hesitate to mention that sometimes. But it is by no means a perfect show. (laughs) No TV show is, but Charmed, looking back
2: especially nowadays, I'm just like, oh, guys. Do do you watch it and go, oh, I was so young then. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. naive. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, this isn't about Charmed. (laughs) So let's talk about Lilith as this the first succubus essentially. Lilith, as in Lilith Fair, people might have heard of. Uh, so Lilith comes from comes from like Judaism post biblical Judaism, and she is this figure who was supposedly the first woman actually made before Eve, mm-hmm. and Eve uh, or excuse me Lilith she basically wanted some sexual agency. She wanted to be on top when she when Adam and she were having sex and Adam got freaked out and said no, 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 and Lilith left the Garden of Eden saying I'm not going to be subservient to you. And I think some archangels tried to get drag her back and she was like no, and she became the mistress of an archangel named Samael, Sam, A L, and turned into a succubus. All of his mistresses were apparently Succupie. I don't know why this happened to them, but it did. It was <laughs> <Because So>, written. <laughs> yeah. So Lilith, who I think sounds like a badass,
1: <laughs> I love Lilith. <laughs> I
2: was gonna say, I think, I think modern pop culture kind of agrees with you. though.
0: Yeah, yeah. She, her punishment f- f- was for for saying, "Hey, I'd like to be on top when we have sex." Sometimes, just sometimes, not it, not every all the time, just sometimes, was she became this this demonic figure mm-hmm. in in Judaism. And you know, the myth of Lilith also spawns a lot of other types of of creatures and different cultures etc but obviously here we're talking about the succubus
1: even though like we and like people in like feminist circles are like she was awesome in pop culture she's always like the wife of the devil or like devil affiliated because i think there's still that fear of like yeah she wanted sexual agency but she was also bad for leaving the garden of eating and right. eden and defying god so there's always like if we're gonna cut it back to Beau because she she wanted the life that she chose right exactly brought it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of a sudden she's like this this bad person for not choosing the good side. Right. Yeah. I
0: I asked my friend Elizabeth. I didn't even do it on purpose. I just call her my friend. Elizabeth. <laughs> I know I my know, friend. That's uh, why. I- I, I I'm gonna start having to call her doctor, my friend Elizabeth, because she almost has her PhD. She's gonna defend soon. In Bible. I think that's how she usually tells people <laughs> so they understand. <laughs> I'm getting a doctor in Bible. So, here's what she had to say about Lilith. She essentially represents everything that can go wrong with sex in traditional Judaism, affairs-slash-attraction outside the marriage, and child death. Because once she was cast out of the Garden of Eden, she vowed to harm male children up to the eighth day and female children up to the twelfth. And she seduces men to get seed for her demon children, the Lilin. So, that's kind of what Lilith represented in traditional Judaism. And from that kind of spawned this myth of the succubus, which monks like to blame for when they had unchaste thoughts and or nocturnal emissions. They were just like, I was visited by a succubus. That's why. Of course. (laughs) Of course.
2: Now I'm getting it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The uh, the
2: origin story of the succubus Mm -hmm.
0: myth. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Now I... Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it was interesting because I was doing research on a succubus, and pretty much I looked at a bunch of different places, and they usually described the succubus as a creature that seduces men. Mm-hmm. And
2: she why- air quoted that. I, I
0: well, I air quoted it. They didn't quote it. I'm but I'm wondering if it was a euphemism, a clunky euphemism, because. You know, when you read down further and it talks about like scientific explanations of the succubus story, they talk about this phenom- phenomenon called sleep paralysis, mm-hmm. which is where you're asleep and you're having like villi- really vivid visions and you feel like you can't move, you can't move. And so that implies to me, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of really seducing and more just forcing going on in most of these encounters if the person couldn't move.
1: Mhm. It seems to be like a lot of both partially them not understanding what certain things are and then blaming that on a demon, because that's what you do. But then the idea of them not being in control of their penises is just like, but it's mine. I use it (laughs) every day. How can it do this thing and I'm not controlling it? If the penis is in danger, a demon must be near
0: Well, and that's actually, I'm glad you used that phrase, because that's sort of historically how a succubus was portrayed as a very scary, demotic thing. I think nowadays, when we see portrayals in television, in the media, there are more these beautiful women who are just enchantress figures, but sort of the historical depictions of them is, are way more scary. Mm-hmm.
1: And I also think it's funny, the difference I've seen between like the Western succubus and the Eastern succubus is like, whereas in the Western one, there's like sex involved, and then like, there may be a demon baby later on. In the more Eastern tradition, they tend to just get eaten. Like, they're always, like, fighter women or, like, wait, women. Wait, wait, wait. Like, Who gets eaten? The men. Sorry. The men. Okay. The men tend to get, like, <laughs> eaten or killed. There is no, okay. like, oh, sexy time, and then you get to just go off about your day. They'll kill you, or they'll eat you, because they won't just be fully human. They'll be, like, half spider, half woman type mm-hmm. thing so it seems who it isn't exactly i spin web but there <laughs> has to be this whole idea in sort that's of what like- i call coding
0: <laughs> like html
2: coding chris is just looking at me blankly <laughs> that's just how my face is okay no no i kind of was <laughs> D- does anybody watch grim i don't okay then never mind <laughs> No, no. Ahead. I was going to say there there was a character, and I can't remember what her character's name was, or what the name of the demon that she was supposed to be, or creature rather. But there was there was a character in Grimm played by Amy Acker, and she was like a Spider Woman who would basically have to eat men to survive, essentially. So it's all connected. It's all
0: tying in. <laughs> it's all tying in. But I interrupted you, Melina. I'm sorry. What were you saying no, no, about no, Spider I just Woman? I think
1: that that's interesting. That like. On the one hand, you have this tradition of like this active seductive seductive force that takes your sperm and has children. And then in the Eastern tradition, there tends to be more of a vengeful, eating, devouring, loss of life aspect to it. Because I don't think people usually die from being visited by a succubus in these mythological examples. It's been a while since I've at it, but I believe that's usually not what happens. It tends to just be like, I took your sperm and I bounced. Whereas... (laughs) (laughs) Other places you get eaten by a spider woman. And
0: I should say that there's like another variation on the succubus myth is that it's more of a shape-shifting creature. So you have a succubus and an incubus being the same creature, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so the succubus side goes and seduces men to collect their semen bringing it back to what Molino said. And then the incubus sides of, of them goes and impregnates women with the semen that they stole. And why this wouldn't result in human babies, I don't know. But the that those offspring then are kind of corrupted and demon-ish, and are more susceptible to supernatural forces, i.e. they're pretty much witches. So that was kind of a, a, I think in the Malleus Maleficarum, if I'm saying that correctly, yeah. that is what they kind of postulated was creating witches, where they were the offspring of succubi slash incubi.
2: No offense, Stephanie, but Melina's much more quotable than you are. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not drinking anything today. I'm much more portable when I'm drinking. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about how succubi are portrayed on Lost Girl. Because primarily in these mythological examples, they're mainly there to have sex with you. They might take your sperm, they might not. <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're pretty much there to, to have sex with you. But on Lost Girl, we have kind of this differentiation of succubus abilities, right? they have they need to have sex, they're still sexual creatures, they have very high sex needs, but then they have the the chi suck thing, which they can do during sex or not during sex. And then they have the the tingly touch. Do you have another word for that, uh, Molina? Or will tingly touch work? (laughs) Tingly touch, I think, is
1: a perfect euphemism for what she does. (laughs) (laughs) I always call it like that or the reverse rogue. Like, it's just kind of (laughs) like for all the comic book nerds out there. But that's how I always saw it. Tingly touch or the reverse rogue. Okay.
0: And I think the most important thing that they did in their creation of the, the succubus is they separated that the feeding from the sex. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking about all the conversations we've had about how do we differentiate the, the needs of, you know, or, or the uh, power right. obtaining
0: methods. When, when does Bo just need to suck Chi versus when does she need to have sex and suck Chi, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, I also think like most of the time, because they, I know in season three, when Docubus was in full force, they really tried to combine the two. And then they would always, because I think they knew about the consent issue, they would always just have her have sex with a fae, consensually. In my knowledge, she rarely tends to cheese suck the same way that she feeds, unless she's injured. The cheese suck tends to be like, I just got stabbed. Let me get some energy from someone who's nearby. Mm-hmm. Whereas the sexual feeding tends to be something that she does to sort of like keep herself...
2: Like a tune-up. We use a lot of car metaphors when it comes to both sexuality. (laughs) Well, it's you know a fairly universal kind of thing, I think that people understand, right? I was no, I was I was in my mind sitting here working on a like a phone charger metaphor. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Because like the having sex thing is like a trickle charge. (laughs) Never mind. Never mind. (laughs) We'll explore that further later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like when it comes to consent, I think the thing that would make it... Well, maybe not the only thing, but if if Bo were to use the tingly touch, which is a persuasive measure on people that she had sex with, I think that would be the big red flag. Like, ugh. Right. How are we feeling about this? But I don't think Bo has ever done that. We've Usually when she's using her tingly touch... It's just to elicit information out of somebody or to make somebody feel better. I right. can't recall an instance where she's used it on somebody she had sex with subsequently.
2: It does seem like they're very careful about separating the two. Yeah. Which I appreciate.
1: One of the things I think that's interesting about the tingly touch is that it's, it's shown to also work on people who would not be attracted to women. Because there was, I think, one or two instances. I know one happened in the first season where she, I think it was the episode with the basilisk
2: Mm -hmm. where she
1: where she used a tingly touch on a gay security guard right and it worked on him so it doesn't have to necessarily work on someone it can work on anyone of any sexuality it's not just heteronormative or whatever it's a it's a bisexual pansexual tingly touch
0: omnisexual tingly touch because it it works on fae and human alike there we go. But and and they also have been, I think, fairly careful about showing Beau primarily having sex with people who know she's a succubus, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that's another element of consent when it comes to the succubi figures on the show. Because if if they know she's a succubus, they are aware of the fact that she's probably going to feed on them when they have sex. Maybe not, because I don't think she feeds on Lauren when they have sex, but. Mm-hmm if she went into a sexual situation with somebody and they didn't realize that possibility, you know, is that okay for her to then feed off of them if they don't know she's going to do it? I don't know.
1: And I think that's the thing that's really common in like all paranormal fantasy shows. Like if you have a character that's like a vampire or a werewolf or whatever, it's like would their partner want to be with that person if they knew that who they're sleeping with was a vampire or a werewolf or whatever they are? because it adds a level of danger to the situation. And I think the way that a lot of writers kind of circumvented is just either not having it come up or making it seem as though that person is so attractive that it doesn't matter that the person is whatever extraterrestrial being that they are. But I think that besides Lauren and maybe like a few stragglers, that have happened overall it tends to always be people like you said who know she's a succubus who are comfortable with being with a succubus and I think that's so that Bo doesn't have to feel shamed for being a sexual being which I think is a positive thing because when you have a character like Bo who has dealt with so much sexual trauma she probably would have a lot of those issues about consent considering the guy that she killed when she was first having sex So I think it's an important choice that Bo makes herself to want to be with people who will be comfortable with her. And I do feel
0: like by and large, when it comes to Bo, they are very careful with how she has sexual encounters with people. I can only think of two possible exceptions, one more than the other, that kind of make me go, "Eh, I don't know. But I'm thinking specifically of there's a fast food worker in the first episode of season two, which I believe is called Something Wicked This Fake Comes, where Dyson's out of town, Bo's got an injury, Kenzie basically takes her to this fast food restaurant, and we see her, you know, macking on this guy in the back room. And I I, I struggle with that one, because it's not that he's completely not into it, but he's kind of making these comments like, are you sure we're kind of, you know, this is going a little fast? Are you sure you don't want to slow down? He's making it sound like He's he's checking in with her, which is like, yay, you know, he's, <laughs> yay for consent. But clearly, it's kind of a, Beau's the one who's really charging ahead. So that one kind of, I'm not sure about that scene. What are, what are your feelings about
1: it, Melina? From what I recall about it, it's one of those instances where like, she's so hot, what do I do? Type <laughs> of things. And it's weird, because I've been thinking a lot about this topic since we were going to discuss. And I think that, can you not consent to a succubus? And I don't mean to say that, like, Beau forces people, but part of the thing about her that was established earlier is that she has an aura that draws people in. People notice her, people see her, and when she touches them, they feel this attraction towards her. So I wonder, even if he felt, like, anxiety about sleeping with her, would he have really been able to say no? Because we rarely have anyone, unless they have their own sexual powers. Like, I remember... um, That episode in season three where they go visit that love god, Bacchus. Mm -hmm. He was like one of the few people that you see that can actively not be affected by Bo's touch.
2: Right. Roman, I think his name was. You're correct. So while
1: we also see that Bo doesn't deliberately use her touch to seduce people, we also don't see many people who cannot reject her touch. So I don't know exactly in the parameters if it's something that can be denied by the average person, or if her aura, whether she means to or not, overpowers that desire to not be with her.
0: Hmm. How about you, Chris? Thoughts about that scene in 201?
2: I think that was one of those things I don't remember ever having an issue with it until hearing other people in fandom had an issue with it. I mean, I still personally don't really, because... Like, there's no doubt in my mind if he had said that he wasn't comfortable with it, Bo would have stopped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, I don't know. It's not something that actually happened. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess I don't really have huge issues with it.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I didn't have really much of an issue with it the first time I saw it. When I went back and watched it a second time, I'm like, eh,
2: I can see where that might be pushing it a bit for, for, for people. Right. I mean, I, I do see what people... yeah. See there. I mean, I, there's something to see, but I don't. It's one of those things. Like, I don't know if I can hold that against anybody. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Against Bo, you mean, or against? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like the fictional characters, not the writers. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I mean, the writers too, really, to some extent. But anyway, we're we're in a very gray area, here, <laughs> is what I'm saying. And I don't know that there's an actual answer. Of you know course. what I mean? Like, of and, and what melina is saying with that stuff given that we do know that, you know, she has that comment, oh, I just have that effect on people. I mean, there's nothing Bo can do about it. So how does that necessarily affect things, you know? Right. I don't know. Cause it's just her reality. So right. so I don't know.
1: <laughs> and I think we're entering into territory where I don't think the writers ever intended us to be sitting around like, so can you not like her? <laughs> like like the mechanics of how much succubus strength her her aura is because I think that it's something that writers really concentrate on, unless they're really trying to pen out some really sexual theory discourse type thing within the show. So I think that we're asking questions that maybe the writers themselves didn't really think about. Because I think right. certain, I think that that scene in general was supposed to be kind of like a sexual comedy scene you know right yeah you have this really beautiful woman wanting to take sexual prowess over this guy who's a fast food worker he's kind of like i don't i don't know what i'm doing that kind of thing like it's a it's a sexual comedy trope i don't think they ever meant for it to be thought of anything deeper than that right Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i again i feel like of the of the two incidences i'm gonna mention personally this is the one where i'm kind of like "Eh, i can see why people have problems but eh, overall i'm okay with it yeah, it's,
1: it's not offensive. It's more, I, just, I don't see it as offensive either. I just think it's one of the things that's kind of like, hmm. It's a, it's one of those canon theory interesting scenes, but not anything I think was made with malicious intention or subconscious intention either.
0: The other w- moment I wanted to mention though, and this one bothers me, medium. This one bothers me, medium. The other one <laughs> <laughs> bothered me, Tiny. This one bothers me medium. (laughs) It happens in episode 504, When God Opens a Window, which just aired in the U.S., so hopefully this isn't spoilers for anybody. Even if it is, this is tiny, 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 little tiny bit of spoiler. Nothing major on the plot. So there's this moment in 504 where essentially Tamsin and Bo are are kind of, you know, tag you're, you're in type of a moment with this guy who Tamsin was just recently frolicking with naked, and uh, passing him over to Bo, essentially. When Bo is, like, sort of heading toward this guy, the camera switches to him, and he has this uncertain, verging, unscared look on his face, and he kind of gulps, uncertainly. And I have problems with that moment.
1: It's a bad scene. I don't (laughs) even mean even from, like, like the consent issue as well, but it's just a bad scene. It was just so... Who is this dude? Why are you here? I just, <laughs> I, I just didn't understand why he even had to be a part of that scene. Like, and let's be real, he was not anything that Bo would be interested in. But I guess, <laughs> but I guess she was hungry at the time. Only fifty percent battery. But it, that that scene was so weird to me because I compare it to that scene where Bo has her first three way with with the fury and her husband right and she's like we're gonna need a safety word and that kind of like enjoyment that like sexual thrill of her going to be able to like tear that ass up sorry if i'm using too much profanity but um <laughs> you're fine just don't say the f word otherwise oh, no. you're fine i locked that down before i came here but <laughs> in comparison to this scene we're like you know why like i don't really understand why he why he A he's afraid or why that they're doing this like weird sexual rotation between this dude and Bo. But it seemed like a little bit of a step backwards. Why is she with this guy who finds her intimidating in the first place? I just didn't I don't get
2: it. I don't get the scene at all, I'll admit. I thought that scene that was a super weird creative choice. Yeah. Is my issue with it because I would have been completely okay with it if they just changed that look. Mm Right. Either don't include it, or if you're going to have to include that look. Because I think maybe they meant it in terms of, like, oh, a succubus. A lot to handle. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and not in, like, an I don't want to kind of way. But it kind of reads like, maybe I don't want to. It does. And, I mean, they could have put in a line to include with the look or something. That would have been, like okay, or I hope I meet your standards, or, you know, I mean, there, there are ways to fix it where it wouldn't be creepy and gross, but as it is, it's a little gross. Like Bo could have just, this is a bad example. I'm not a
0: writer, but Bo could have said something like, are you up for it? And he's like, oh, I'll give it a shot. You know, just something that it indicated right. he was yeah. willing to make this switch, whereas the way Willing but
2: nervous. Yeah. Whereas now it just, the way it is, it reads as... Uncertainty, yeah, which predatorial,
0: yeah, very predatorial, very objectifying. As Tamsin just being like, "Oh, you want to have sex? Here's Tad. He'll have sex with you." You know, that's not cool.
1: Yeah, like I think like a like, thing would be like him being like, "I've never been with a succubus before," and Bo like, "I don't bite hard." Like, yeah, like simple like that, like just to show like he's just like, "Wow, you're a lot to handle." But right. like I said, like the the way it's filmed and even like Bo's kind of look, even though it's like Anna Silk, and I just think. Ugh. Anna, but she was very much like, I'm going to eat you up. And he was yes, just kinda like, yeah. I don't want to be eaten like a yes. little, like a lamb.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I just don't know why they made that choice with that look. They could have had no. him look happy. That would have been fine. They could have added in a little dialogue that made it okay. But as it is, it just looks like Bo's going to go eat him alive, whether he's up for it or not.
2: Mm hmm. Which, no, yeah. don't do yeah. that, writers. Yeah.
0: I mean, to be fair, it cuts there. We don't see what actually transpires between the two of them. It could be she goes and she sits on the bed and they have a nice long talk. I don't know. But just with the information that we get, I I don't like what it implies.
2: Right, mm-hmm. And we discussed this, I think, in our episode about that where, you know, they have the scene later where Tamsin still doesn't know his name, but Bo does. And so it's like, well, maybe that means that... Bo was not, you know, like maybe things were okay, but the not knowing is bothersome. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: I also have had people talk about the in that same episode the fact that Bo sleeps with Mark as being problematic for them. I don't really have issues with that on a consent level. I I think personally, Mark seems really into it. Mark is. I gross. Agree.
2: I agree with that, too.
0: Beyond that, though, do you, do you think that Bark is into it? <laughs> oh, he was into it, but
2: he's okay. gross.
0: Well, okay. That's <laughs> that's that's fine, just to, to be your opinion. But but yeah, I just... he was And he was the one who kissed her first. So mm-hmm. he really was initiating the sexual contact in that episode, in my opinion.
1: I think what was weird about that, their sexual scene is that she seemed, like, drawn to him for some reason. And then you find out it's because it's Dyson's child. And... That was weird. I felt like some of this, from a writing perspective, not a consensual perspective, some of the sexual choices that they made Bo pick this season that we've up to so far were just odd because they were all dubious consent. Like, Mark was dubious consent, because I don't think Bo would have slept with him if she had known that that was her son. That was Dyson's son, Jesus, that'd be awful. (laughs) You just made it way weirder. (laughs) It was was weirder and worse.
2: (laughs) But here's a question, though. Is it still dubious? Because neither one of them knew that at the time.
1: Yeah. But it just, it was, I felt like it was done for, like, a shock value sex effect. Like, she slept with him and, like, it's the sun. And it was just very weird. And it took away, in my opinion, some of her sexual choice. Like, because she didn't have all the the information, she wasn't able to make the choice that she would have wanted. And I think also in the... More egregiously in the premiere episode, I think it was like hell part two you know, like to part two yeah. where she has sex with Persephone like that was that was awful for me because I'm like she would have never wanted to sleep with you if you had told her who you were at the very beginning. and that made me upset because i I don't like that sort of manipulation being used as like a plot device and I didn't like it being used with Bo. But going back to
0: Bo and Mark, so I guess from my perspective, it sounds like our perspective, there wasn't really a consent issue there. I had more of an issue at the time with the fact that I wasn't sure how old Mark was supposed to be. But subsequently, we've seen him like drinking in bars and things like that. So I think he's supposed to be at least 18. The actor, I think, is 19 or 20, maybe. Mm
2: -hmm. But
0: so I'm better about his age. However, I do know some people feel like Mark was confused, and he came to Bo for help. And they don't—they feel like she kind of took advantage of him. And you know, if that's your perspective, that's your perspective. I—I I just don't particularly agree that that equals he didn't consent to have sex with her. But that's me.
2: I agree. I agree. The other thing I find really
0: interesting about Bo in terms of consent is that was a big way that we were actually introduced to the character, right? Mm -hmm. The first thing we see Bo do is saving Kenzie from this guy who roofied her.
1: I love season one. That was such a great episode. I remember I was rewatching it recently with my partner and I thought to myself, how many shows do you watch where the first episode are two women looking out for each other in such a complete way? And I think that really shows the values of who Bo is. Like, Bo believes in giving people choice and people having options and not letting someone be taken advantage of. But it's interesting because Bo saves Kenzie. But Mm -hmm. by saving her, she,
0: you know, she kind of seduces this guy, kisses him, and then kills him. So it's like she saves Kenzie from, from being assaulted.
2: By but, doing similar things to what the dude was going to do to yeah, Kenzie, have, right? The uh,
0: complex, yeah. Yeah, which I think actually is a really interesting introduction to the main character, because you mm-hmm. have her do something good, but she does it in kind of a, a gray way.
1: Yeah, I see it as twofold. I see it, to quote Chris, as one, deserved it. And, <laughs> and two, it's interesting because I, I like Bo as being... A morally good person but also doing very morally gray things like I think that even though she's a good person and we can all say that I think that being a succubus and having these powers that are so much driven by these actions also make her sort of like a darker person like she's a very Xena-like character and I don't necessarily dislike her for doing those things it may be because I'm so used to like characters like Xena who would stand up for the righteous but also kill I don't begrudge her or dislike her character for doing that because they very much paint this guy as a sexual predator. And just from statistic-wise, we know that people who do this do this often. So maybe even a serial predator. So while I do acknowledge that she is using her her powers against him, I don't really like lose any sleep over the fact that she used her cheese sucking on him. I just think it makes her more of a gray character and a gray anti-hero than anything else, personally.
0: So let's shift gears and talk about our other succubus that we have on the show, Aoife, Aoife. slash Saskia, as she was called in season one. And I feel like she's a more traditional succubus figure. Yes, Mm -hmm. that is true. While we haven't seen a whole lot of her... She, I think, uses her abilities in far more of a an aggressive, predatory manner than Bo
2: does. She's an offensive succubus as opposed to a defensive succubus, or
0: a you know a cagey succubus. Because I feel like Bo really uses her powers as as tools. The majority of t- of the time we see her use them, and you know, suc- Eva, being who she is, she doesn't necessarily have to use her powers in that way. So hers is just more of a. I want some, I'm gonna feed, type of type of thing, I think, relationship with her
2: powers. I mean she made herself a harem of manservants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh that's another maybe interesting contrast to point out between Bo and and Eva, because i I'd forgotten about that ability to bind people to to themselves. And I think for sure Ifa was using those manservants not because they were super smart, but because they were super attractive and she probably mm-hmm. was having sex
2: with them. They were mm-hmm. shirtless 100% of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So In Canada <laughs> <laughs> It's cold. <laughs> so
0: so definitely I, you know, I I think they were implying they didn't really have the willpower to say no in Mm -hmm. that position. And the times when we've seen Bo bind people to her with her blood was in, I'm blanking on the name of the episode. At the end of season two. At the end of season two. With that, with Ryan. Yes, with Ryan. And she does it by accident. And she was freaked out by it. And she was reverted to sort of a childlike stake. So she actually took advantage of her Mm -hmm. in that episode rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. And then she used it at the end of season 2 to unite people together against a common evil to slay a demon. So she's used that ability which could very much take away people's consent in a completely different way than Eva did.
1: I think it just shows how morally different they are. And I think I think Eva's sexual trauma plays a role in how she uses people as well because we know that she herself is a victim of sexual assault. And I think maybe that's part of the reason why she feels no empathy in putting people into her thrall in that sort of way, which makes me interested. Like, we have only two main succubus characters. We haven't really seen a lot of other people be succubi, nor do we really know what Aoife was like before she was kidnapped. So maybe even the negative, more traditional succubus parts of her aren't necessarily an indication of what a succubus is, but how a succubus can become if they go through certain issues. That's the thing I find
0: really interesting about Aoife, because we see her as a more traditional succubus figure. And we see her, I think it's strongly implied that she sexually assaults Dyson in Mm -hmm. Dismembers Only. Right. And yet she's walking around and she's a character who's clearly been sexually assaulted, probably by more than one person. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an interesting duality to her character mm-hmm. but that that scene in dismembers only i that i i think personally it's very strongly implied that she took advantage of dyson but they don't really ever characterize it in that regard when they talk about it at any time subsequently
2: and well, I, they barely talk about it subsequently yeah. and that it's like dyson apologizing and that doesn't make sense, Dyson. Yeah. Well,
0: I think we've talked, I know, actually, we've talked about this scene a little bit before. And so when it comes to Bo's perspective on that scene, she comes in kind of late in the game. She doesn't really know how it started. We, mm-hmm. the audience, know that Aoife comes up and attacks Dyson. And then later we see that they're having sex when, when Bo walks in. So from our perspective, I think it's pretty clear that sh- that she assaulted him. Dyson apologizes for it, and I don't really understand why. Though some people do feel shameful or, you know, feel
2: like it was their fault. I was going to say, it's not unreasonable that he might feel guilty about it. Yeah. But,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, then we hear it mentioned in Caged Fae, I think, where Beau says something like, well, this one time my mom had sex with my boyfriend. And that's just kind of how she characterizes it. Mm-hmm. But again, this is Beau's perspective,
2: And she doesn't know.
0: Yeah. As far as we know. Right. Mm -hmm. But then we have in In Memoriam, when Dyson and Aoife are kind of across the table from each other, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, you attacked me that one time. But that's like an alternate universe and Bo wouldn't have been there. So I have no idea what he's remembering at that point happened between the two of them. So, yeah, that whole handling, though, of that particular incident has always felt a little weird. And I've been disappointed with how the show has addressed it. Mm hmm. Or not. Or not addressed it, as it were.
1: Especially because, like, the stereotypes about men being assaulted by women are not taken seriously. So it just kind of, that kind of adds a layer of, like, disappointment to their treatment of Dyson in that circumstance. So, Melina, you had
0: compiled an interesting list of other other succubi and sexy time
1: related powers in media. <laughs> Did you want to talk about some of those? Yeah, I was trying to see a series that I knew of where a succubus was the main character in a similar way to Bo, or if there were like similar powers. And I found two in sort of like the fiction paranormal fantasy fiction genre one of them is the Anita blake series which is a terrible book series and but popular right is it super popular popular like okay. 20 billion books not literal but like almost 20 <laughs> something books and it's really bad but um <laughs> the main character starts off as kind of like a purity sue like she's saving herself for marriage because she was screwed over by one dude blah blah but basically she eventually becomes a succubus and her becoming a succubus is a way to basically explain her supernatural sex vagina Um, <laughs> because everyone <laughs> wants to have sex with her because of reasons and the, the author has this weird way of making Anita have like 13 plus partners but still wants to call other people sluts so her being a succubus is a way to be like, I have to have sex with people. Otherwise, I'm going to die. So that's kind of like how succubism is used in that text. And consent is never really brought up as an issue, at least in the books that I've read of the series, which is quite a few, because everyone wants to have sex with her because of the magical vagina. And all of her partners know that she is supernatural, so they want to give it a spin. they like, I want to know... If the vagina is as magical <laughs> as I've been told.
2: <laughs> Literally. No, 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 hang on. You say it's a terrible book series, but you've read a lot of them?
1: <laughs> I read the first few where it wasn't as sexually um, plot related. But then post book seven or so, it just became bad supernatural sex. Oh, it turned terrible. It turned terrible. Okay. And there was a moment where like I was half intrigued. Like, how... How bad. bad did it get? How bad is this? And then there's a certain point where you have to realize that when it's saying run away, you should just run away. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> but I still kind of read the synopsis of people who review the books to just see how far it's failing. And the only thing that has really changed is that she does have one female sexual partner. And she views herself as heteroflexible I'm using air quotes because this is a podcast, so I should explain that. Um, (laughs) Whatever that means. But usually it's very heteronormative and not anything as good as Bo. The other series is the Georgiana Kincaid series by Rochelle Mead. In this book, succubi are sort of agents of hell. And the main character, Georgiana, she's a succubist. And she can change her appearance at will. And her job is basically to target souls of both good and bad people and like take their energy and mark them in a way for hell. Like, when they sleep with her, they're somewhat tainted by her, by her own demonic nature, and she can um, send them to hell when they die. She's a lot like Bo in the sense that she is very much trying to have a normal life while being this agent of hell type thing.
2: (laughs) There's a sentence you hear every day.
1: <laughs> I, I send people to hell, but I want to be like everybody else. Um, she doesn't want to be monogamous. And she does have this kind of guilt about hurting her partners, draining their life force, and not being able to like commit in that long-term way. One of the things that consent-wise is kind of dealt with is that she really tends to have sex with bad people. And they choose her because she can shape-shift and look however they prefer So she's kind of like, she kind of like sits at like a bar and they're her target, but her goal is to make them come to her using her appearance. So it's very much agreed that like, yes, she's using them and she's like damaging them, but it's them going to her, then her like grabbing them while they're asleep, that kind of thing. So it is different from that traditional succubus myth. And then the not succubus but related sexy time power is the character Alicia from the British show Misfits. I picked this show because it's the most similar to Lost Girl in terms of being like a supernatural comedy. The main leads get caught in this freaky lightning storm. Instead of dying, when they get struck by lightning, they get powers. And Alicia gets this really, really crappy power of having it (laughs) that when anyone who touches her wants to have sex with her instantly And it's portrayed as being very, one, crappy, but also dangerous, because whenever someone touches her, they immediately want to start taking off her clothes and assaulting her, basically, because she doesn't want to do it. And she does, at a time, try to take advantage of it and use it to have sex with people that she does like. And one of her love interests, his name is Curtis, he likes her, he's into her, but when they have sex using her power, he sees it as rape, and he calls it out as rape, because In his mind, her power supersedes his ability to consent. So even though he's attracted to her, when he touches her, it's still not him being able to say, yes, I'm into you. Because her power is making him want her in a way that isn't his own brain functioning. So as a result, they have to engage in sort of like a non-touching sexual relationship. Because it's kind of implied that as long as she has this power, he can't really have sex with her the way that he would want to, because it's always going to be her power. And I picked her because she has sexy touch. And I thought it was interesting that she's this character who is shown to have no kind of control over it, whereas Bo does have that control. And Bo is allowed to enjoy the sex, whereas Alicia's character is having it forced upon her. But I also thought it was similar because there was a point where Bo wasn't very comfortable with her power. And it did make me think of this kind of question of like, Bo got these powers when she was, like, a teenager. Did she have those instances where people, where she touched them by accident, and they were into her, and she was kind of afraid of them because they were trying to, like, maybe make a move on her? So it just made me have a lot of questions, so I thought they would kind of be good to bring up in our discussion of, like, succubi and, like, supernatural consent overall. That was a lot of information, though, I that. No, no, that's interesting, because <laughs> I hadn't
2: heard of any of those. I have heard of Anita Blake, okay. but only vaguely finally i thought we'd talk about a couple of
0: moments in regards to consent on lost girl that don't relate to a succubus and they actually both have to do with lauren interestingly (sighs) Hmm. (laughs) so first of all is is the the ghost i'll just call it the ghostly encounter in like hell part two Good name. Yes. I like it. <laughs> and Chris, Annie, and I, we talked about it a lot in that episode discussion. So I don't particularly have anything more I'm going to add. If you haven't heard that discussion or haven't heard it recently, you can go back and listen. It's at drinkswithadoll.com slash 81. It's episode 81. But I did want to ask you, Melina, since you were not in that episode discussion, what was your perspective on that storyline?
1: Hated it. Really Bro. <laughs> still don't know why it happened like it has nothing has come out of it besides grossness there's a part of me like the docubus fan of me is like extra bitter because it was like filmed to be like Bo's love for lauren and her sexual love for lauren reaches out through her time and space and all of that goodness
2: transcending just, dimensions just to like <laughs> lightly
1: stroke her beautiful figure but no <laughs> it's a ghost and I think Stephanie you said a lot of what I felt about like it's such a common trope and it's always gross because it took a not only did it take away Lauren's actual consent of Bo, but it also just it made no sense. Like I still don't know why the ghost did it. You know? Right. Not not even like it needs to make sense, but like it was written. This is not like even like real life where it's like, why did this monster do this? I'm like, why did you writers decide that we needed to have weird ghost sex? I I don't understand the point of it. And I think that's what makes it even more egregious. Like, even though I'm glad it's not like a mythical pregnancy, like with Gabrielle or something like that, it's just very upsetting that they use such a really dated, really weird sex trope. And this, I think, is maybe
0: a good example of what you were talking about earlier in regards to like dubious consent, because... Lauren technically consented, but she consented on false information or, you know, false knowledge of what was happening. Yeah. And it was also disappointing. You know, it's one thing that it happened, but it I think it became extra disappointing about how that whole thing was wrapped up at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. It, it just, was like,
2: ha ha, this thing happened. Ha ha. Yeah. And then they don't talk about it after that. Right. Yeah. I mean,
0: granted, again, it's Bo who I think says... I can't believe you have ghost sex you had ghost sex. And who knows how Lauren or Kenzie or whomever related the event to her, but it's still like that's the only word, final word that we got in the event is Bo making a joke about it, and it just doesn't feel right to me. And then yeah. Lauren
2: makes some sort of joking comment in response exactly. to it too, which is also kind of odd. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So I I still just don't feel particularly great about that storyline. Yeah. yeah. And then the other element related to consent and Lauren was actually sent in uh, by Mahler's Fifth. And it's talking about the fact that Lauren, who is a doctor, she's described herself as a physician, has a sexual relationship with Bo, who is one of her patients. Mm -hmm. And she actually pointed out a couple of specific moments. The first one in, I believe it's at the end of Phase Wide Shut, where she makes some comments about how You know, that's one of the benefits of being a physician. Every patient is a potential tryst. And then she also points out in Big in Japan, when Bo has gone to Lauren and she talks about the fact that, you know, not interested in having sex and Lauren's like, you know, Come here, like you know I think you need the touch of a medical professional, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, me personally, well, I'll start with y'all.
2: So what? how do y'all... <laughs> <laughs> and my opinion is this. Wait, wait, yours first. first. Let's- <clears throat> so I guess
0: let's start with those particular moments. How do y'all feel about those two? We'll start with you,
2: Chris. The potential Trist line... It just kind of confuses me. I'm like, why does she say that? That's just a weird comment to make make is always my thought whenever I hear that. like in all the rewatches, I'm just kind of like that is such a weird thing to say, Lauren <laughs> 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 That one I feel a little weird about, okay. The other part I have mixed feelings on, and here's why okay we're We're in this weird this is this is especially. One of those situations where like the real world rules and like the fictional world rules sort of collide and don't match up to me Mm -hmm. because Beau literally needs sex and sexual things to heal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like, in order to heal her, (laughs) it's a medical practice. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) it's a treatment. (laughs) So like, I have weirder, more complicated feelings about that. Like, I don't. I don't take issue with it the way I would if it was in the real world. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, right. or, or if Bo in was the, a, in was the, the a human, human world, human woman, yeah, then it would be weird and not acceptable. <sighs> you know, Bo's a succubus, so I don't know. I don't know. How about you, Melina? How do you feel about those
0: particular
1: moments? The first one, it's just weird. It's it's one of those lines that I think would be even easier if it was like like whenever we talk about like the docubus scenes and about some of the stuff being problematic, I think about how would I feel if it was like a heterosexual couple? Because sometimes I think even myself, I kind of like put queer relationships on kind of like a more emotional pedestal where like I'm so attached to them. Do I see some of the stuff as the same? And I do think that there's a part of me that if it was like a male doctor to like a female love interest slash patient type, I'd be kind of like abuse of power type of thing. So I don't find it completely like I'm not offended by it but I do see why it's sort of like a problem or weird as Chris said that she would say that because it just comes kind out of started, like so you do this often type thing
2: I mean it reads a little skeevy right
1: yeah it's very off-putting kind of if you if you're thinking into it like we are today it is off-putting as for the second part not saying that if you're in a relationship with somebody and you've broken up or whatever they had done by that time, because it's not clear. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's not
0: clear at all.
1: So I'm not saying that because Bo and Lauren were in a relationship, that that gives Lauren the right to think that she can touch Bo however she wants. However, I do think that that scene has a lot more emotional relevance than medical relevance, because I think that, one, she was trying to get like a one-up on... Was it Tamsin who tried to help her earlier with like... Yeah, I think she mentioned yeah. Tamsin in that scene. I think I think she wanted to get a one-up on Tamsin. And that too, she was trying to reconnect with Bo on that emotional level. Because I think that the relationship between Bo and Lauren has always been blurred. Like they've never had the doctor-patient traditional relationship. They've always wanted to bone each other. And they've pretty much always been boning each other. <laughs> So I think they've already kind of crossed the line in doctor-patient consent laws. Like, technically, their whole relationship is problematic. She should change doctors. Well, that's what I was going to get into next. (laughs) Because,
2: like, is there another Faye treating doctor, though? Because there doesn't really seem to be. Well, and that's what I want to talk about next. So let's wrap up on these
0: two particular moments. I got to break our consensus here. I actually have no problem with either of those because I feel like they are clearly said in a joking manner. Clearly, Lauren is not pursuing a sexual relationship with every patient who walks into her office. I think she's making kind of a bad joke because it's been a long day there. She's worried about Bo. I mean, I do think that too, but
2: to me, the first line is still weird and skeevy. I think it's
0: a strange (laughs) line. I don't get a skeevy vibe off of it personally. I I think she's clearly kidding there. It actually doesn't bother me at all. The, The subsequent time also doesn't bother me. I, the only thing that bothers me about that scene actually is how unsexy it is because the way that they had the actor's position, like Lauren's kind of bending down and we get this weird shot of the top of her head and she's wearing her medical gloves throughout the entire thing. I'm like, this is just not sexy. You don't, you don't like medical gloves? I don't. Well, I realize sometimes I they shame. are relevant in sexual encounters, but it just
2: like, in that particular scene, it's just like, Ugh, no. <laughs> Let me tend your wounds and then make out with you. <laughs> <laughs> While she still has the blood of
1: her fresh wound on her hand, she lightly glazes upon her neck. The the,
0: the thing that really seemed to bother Mahler's fifth about the the scene in Big in Japan is there like clearly Lauren is in a doctor role. She's wearing a lab coat, and she makes this comment like, "Trust me, lie back," which which she finds creepy because. Of there have are document cases of doctors taking advantage of particularly female patients, and so I can get there. I I didn't
2: strike me as creepy personally, but if there wasn't the context that we had, mm-hmm. it would bother me, right? Yeah. But they've been in a relationship. Right. They have feelings and fondness and affection between them, so right. I'm not bothered. Yeah. yeah. So I
0: actually don't. I'm not particularly bothered by either of the scenes again, except for the unsexiness of the sex scene. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But there is this larger question, the fact that Lauren is technically Bo's doctor. And per the Hippocratic Oath and per different, you know, rules when it comes to being a doctor in various states, doctors shouldn't have sexual relationships with their patients. And I was actually, I was looking it up online and there was a, a website, I think it was on the Maryland Board of Physicians website. And there was even like a question there that says, Why can't I consent to, you know, what if I have, I consent to having sex with my doctor? They're like, no, he still should, you know, he or she still shouldn't have sex with a patient because it could compromise your care. Mm They will make different choices because of that relationship that you have. So they even bring up consent specifically. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously not an issue for Lost Girl alone. If you've ever watched a medical show <laughs> <laughs> or Orphan Black. <laughs> yes, exactly. We we see this line get gets blurred a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think that is something to think about. The fact that if this were a more traditional situation, their relationship would be very inappropriate.
2: I repeat my question, though. Is there another doctor? Exactly. Right. I've never
0: really thought of Lauren as Bo's doctor the way that I think of, like, Dr. Morshauer as my primary care physician. Like, it's just a whole different thing. I'm not a succubus. You know? right. I don't have a doctor I go to for sex juice shots <laughs> or anti-sex juice shots.
2: Mm-hmm. What was it? Uh, dial down whatever to, to
0: Randy? What was the... Oh, dial you down to... Uh, Randy. Frisky, even. That's what she says. Dial dial you back to Randy. Maybe even Frisky. (laughs) (laughs) Is that something that y'all think about a lot? The fact that maybe their relationship is kind of uh, because of that relationship that they have? The doctor-patient relationship? I don't really either.
2: Does that make me a bad person? I don't know. I mean, there are other, there are shows that I watch where that's a thing and it does bother me. Yeah, me too. But, I don't know. I think as we've discussed, the fact that in the world of our show there doesn't seem to be another doctor who treats Faye. And <laughs> just the like the weird circumstances override it enough to make it not bother me.
0: And apart from the time where we see Lauren doing horribly, horribly unsanitary surgery on Bo here in, in, in Big in Japan, that's not really the primary way we see them interact on a doctor or patient level. It's more of a researcher type of thing. And I'm not saying that means I have no idea. It's probably completely inappropriate for researchers to have sex with their patients as well. But I don't it know. I, I, <laughs> but for some reason, because of of that, I haven't thought about it the way that I would if Lauren was a more typical white in a lab coat, walking around doing rounds type of doctor. Well,
2: Because they treat him more like colleagues, generally.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: And also the science is all made up.
1: Right. The reason why I like stuff like the Cosima... Delphine relationship or like the Lauren Boyle ship doctor privilege doesn't bother me is because it, it basically not not as, not as unrealistic but the relationship as doctor and patient is not realistic like it's not at all framed in a in that way that I can even that it even crosses my mind in that sort of way if, if, it, was, if it was like teacher student type thing it would be much more jarring because there will always be that role but I just don't think of Lauren as, as you said, as Bo's doctor.
0: Yeah, Lauren is a doctor, but I don't really think of her as Bo's doctor. Even though, even though Lauren does treat her, it's I don't know, I've just never really put a whole lot of thought into it.
2: I think it is the combination of them, both in Lost Girl and in Orphan Black, there's there's the situation of them being in rather isolated social circles, too. So I mean, (laughs) it's not like there's, it's not like there are other people who could act in that role anyway necessarily mm-hmm. and that in addition to the fact that they all are also uh, colleagues more than anything else it's not like one is in some sort of position of authority over the other so much even though it kind of is on Orphan Black but <laughs> it doesn't start out that way <laughs> that we know of <laughs> now I'm having to backtrack all the stuff that I just said it's, Never all, it's
0: all dubious and gray any any clothing? <laughs> Any clothing thoughts? <laughs> clothing thoughts. you always have clothing thoughts.
1: Any, any final thoughts before we conclude? <laughs> we are all very happy that Bo is not the traditional succubus and docubus forever. Doesn't have final <laughs> how, how about
2: this? Yay for consent.
1: Yay for consent. Yay, Yay for consent. Yes means yes, no means no, ghosts, no, never. <laughs>
2: those are just rules to live by (laughs) say no to sexual encounters with ghosts
1: ghosts.
0: (laughs) well thank you so much to Melina for being our guests on this episode and dropping tons of phrases that make me laugh
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you for having me
2: thank you for being this episode's Annie yes
1: (laughs) you know we gotta stick together us (laughs) docu-girls But check out
0: Melina's videos over on YouTube. She's Melina Pendulum over there, as in the thing that swings back and forth in a clock. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the issue of consent on Lost Girl. You can go and tell us over in the comments for this episode at drinkswithadoll.com slash 101. You can also send us an email to feedback at drinkswithadoll.com or call and leave a voicemail at 972 I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks With The Doll. My name is Stephanie. And I'm Chris. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers.
1: I'm
2: sorry if my boobs are like really in the... Annie is going to be so disappointed she does this. <laughs>